0: make the wrong thing the center. We tend to put at the center of our lives things that are not capable of the weight of the worship that we have built into our hearts by God and that God alone is sufficient to sustain that. And anything else we will destroy um, by vain expectations of something that's created when we're looking at it to be worthy of our creator. And so he talked about the center and towards the end of his sermon, he talked about the fact that though God is worthy of being the center of all of our life and though it gives meaning to everything else and though that when God is truly the center, we can suck the marrow out of life because we know what the end of each thing is, whether it be marriage or children or or relationship, boyfriend-girlfriend, or friendship or hobbies. We know exactly how much they can give and how much they can't because God's the center. And towards the end, he talked about the fact that he could have called us to say, now because God's worthy of he's the only one who could sustain our desire, love him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But he made the comment, and I think he was so right, that that would be leaving us just with a command rather than with motivation. And he used the illustration of a fuel tank, that we need to fuel our tanks. And so he talked about the infinite love of God seen in the cross and how that should fuel a motivation to love one who has loved us so much. And this morning what I'd like to do is continue with that, looking at the prodigal son, And the amazing love of God and how important that is to our identity. And so, if you would pray with me that God might meet with us, we'll start there. Father, it's my desire for myself and for your people to rest confident and fully assured of your love for us, that it would mark us, that it would mark how we live. And most importantly, who we are. That we would know that you are for us. That you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. If you, if you have given us Jesus, how will you not give us all things? So Father, help us to see rightly who we are in Christ Jesus this morning. And I pray um, that you would graciously use me in that task. Uh, Father, you know I am not fit for the task, but I trust your Holy Spirit to come now to be with your people and to do the work I cannot do. So Father, please come to us this morning and move our hearts closer to yourself. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Our identity is formed, whether we like it or not, by what people think of us. You, You can see this all over the place. Self-help books are filled with it. Counseling offices are filled with people whose either their parent, good friend, mean kids on the school ground set the course of their life by calling them something or saying something to them that set their identity. And it crushed them and it set the trajectory of their life. You'll see this with families and children. I would agree with Dan, the greatest love of my life is my wife and my kids. Um, Raising my kids is an amazing privilege. But it is amazing how much my um, opinion matters. It's almost scary to me. I can crush my son accidentally because my opinion matters so much to him. I can crush my daughters because my opinion matters so much to them. Um, My daughter, my youngest, has just really taken off with reading. She's become a really good reader. And it was interesting going back a little while ago because one of the things I did while sitting with her when she didn't want to read, because you know how reading is a drag. Um, I, I, I hate to say it, but when you're not at the place where you can read yet, it's just the formulation of words, right? You're sounding out these boring words, and by the time you get to the end of the thought, you don't know what you said because you're just going word for word for word, and it's a drag. And I remembered saying to her, sweetie, you're getting to be such a good reader. And it changed the whole trajectory of how she viewed reading. All of a sudden, she asked me to sit down and read with her, when before I have to command her, sweetie, I know you don't want to. Come sit down, read to me. (laughs) And it was just this painful thing that we had to go through. And my opinion on that she was a good reader changed everything. And I think that's true in life. Cyberbullying. Why do... Young women, young men take their lives. Because some cruel person on the other side of the line said mean things and called them things that they could not handle and began to believe were true, and they gave up. Children and adults can be so cruel, they have no idea the power of their words. A parent can, I, I have counseled with people who the, the, the parent said to their kid that they were ugly. And that set the trajectory of their lives, trying to prove that they weren't ugly, which sent them into places they should have never gone. Now, it's not fully the parent's fault, but it's amazing the power of words. Our identity, whether we like it or not, is bound up with people's opinion. It's funny to me, even on the negative side, you'll see people change their hair and dress in goth or whatever the the latest fad is, right? Right? You'll see a few start doing that. Why? Because they don't like the opinion of everybody else. So they're going to start a new one. Which means the opinion of everybody else matters. Does that make sense? And then everybody shuffles over here and then everybody goes, well, everybody looks like me. Um, And I I don't like that, so I'm going to try something else. Which means you just run from one thing to the other based on opinions. And what I want us to see this morning is there there is one opinion that matters. There is one opinion that can set you free, that can set the trajectory of your life in an amazing way. And that's God's opinion. You take a person who's had a father who's been cre- cruel and vindictive and mean in their words, and you take a child who's been broken and crushed, and you take them and you bring them to the true father. And they realize that that father knits them together in their mother's womb, that that father loves them, that that father's with them, that that father has created him, them in his image, that he sent his son to die on their behalf because he adores them and loves them and wants to be with them. And you change the whole trajectory. It's amazing the power of an opinion, and especially God's opinion. But I think sometimes as Christians, we come to God's opinion hesitantly. And we put the background into the foreground. And what I mean by that is we take, well, you know, I'm a sinner and I'm a worm and I can't do anything good and everything I do is bad. And, and that's what we spend our time thinking about. When in Christianity, that's the background. It's not the foreground. You know what the foreground is? That you are a new creature in Christ. That you have been redeemed. That you're no longer alienated, but brought near to God. That you're no longer uh, an enemy, but a child adored by Him. That it is His delight to be with you. And sometimes we mess up our theology, and we put the background in the foreground, and you can tell this by when you give somebody a compliment sometimes. You compliment them, and they can't say thank you. You know, I'm just glad to be used of God. It's, well, you know, it's It's God. I know that why are you saying that because they don't think that they have value and so they shift they deflect when in reality they're a child they could simply say thank you i'm glad to be used to my father he's so good but we deflect and i think i have heard so many christians say to me well you know we're, we're sinners and we're where I can't do anything good, everything I do is filthy, and that's where they spend all their time. And if you do that, you will be bound by a wrong perception of who you are because that's the background. That was you. That is no longer you. In Christ, you are a new creation. And God sees you totally differently. He sees his people through Christ in an amazing way and it was true in the Old Testament and it's true in the New. And I want to take you through some verses and show you this. See if I can make the technology work. Listen to this. This is in Deuteronomy. But the Lord's portion is his people. His portion is his people. Is that a weird thought? Jacob his allotted inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Is that hard for you to believe? I struggle with that, to be honest with you. I have to convince myself over and over again that that's true. I have a hard time with God saying stuff like this. Am I the only one? Or do you find yourself having to repeat to yourself and having to preach to yourself, having to refill your tank with the truth of God's love? That's pretty bold. We have a hard time saying these kinds of things. I'm his portion? I kind of look at myself like a, like a bowl of maggoty soup. You know, portion? You want this as your portion? That's a wrong way to look at ourselves. We are his portion, his heritage, and the apple of his eye. God is so big and so great that he can make us his focus. Not because he needs us, but because he loves us. Why? Because he's amazing. He just loves us. We become his portions, portion, his inheritance, the apple of his eye. Pretty profound. Look at this next verse. This is out of Zephaniah. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Is that stunning? He rejoices over you with gladness? Does that just make your heart pump a little bit more? I don't care what anybody else thinks if this is what my God thinks of me. Their opinion is way down here. His opinion is up here. Tell your wives, tell your children, tell your friends, this is what God thinks of his children. He sings over them. He exalts over them. You are a new creation in Christ. Something that has been in Christ made delightful. Something he exalts over. Something he sings about. You are his portion, his inheritance, the apple of his eye. That is the foreground for the Christian. It is not the background. Sin is not to haze that over but to be the far distant background of the brilliance of this truth. And what we see in the prodigal son story is the prodigal son had to realize this. That he had a father that loved him beyond description. Remember the prodigal son? He finally comes to himself. He had lost everything, at least the younger son. He had lost everything. He had lost his reputation. He had lost his morality. He had lost his self sense of self and self-worth being wrapped up in the love of his father, so much so that he would take such a destitute position as a Jewish man to slop pigs which were unclean in their society. And this is where we find him, and he and he comes to the father. And remember he, I'll get to that. This is what happens. And he rose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Just picture yourself for a minute. You have lost the entire inheritance. You are coming back filthy, starving, absolutely ashamed of yourself. And this is your welcome. He embraced and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And I love this verse. But the father. The son was going to go on, remember? He had a plan. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. i got a plan. Would you let me be a hired hand? Would you make me? The NES and the NIV both use the word make. Just make me a hired hand. If you would do that, I would be pleased. But the father doesn't even let him get there. He lets him out of grace finish his confession and make right. But the minute his son goes to say, this is the plan, the father says, no, I have a plan for you. I have a plan. Listen to my plan. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. That is the heart of your father towards you. He embraces you. He kisses you. He takes his son who had lost everything, who had made a mockery of his family. The father doesn't even... Like with Adam and Eve, he, does, he gives up. He gives up some of his uh, reputation. In the garden, what, what did God say? He made this beautiful garden. He told Adam and Eve, there's only one thing you can't do. I've made everything gorgeous for you. I've made everything perfect for you. I've made everything right for you. Just don't do this one thing. It's treasonous. They did the one thing. What was the rule? If you commit treason against me after I've been so good to you as your creator and the father of your life, you will have to die. And the amazing thing right at the beginning of the story of the Bible is God doesn't do He doesn't commit justice. He extends grace right at the beginning. Now I know some theologians say, well, they died spiritually. No, I don't think that's the point of the story because we find Adam and Eve hiding behind a bush. Why? Because they were scared to death. They thought the Father was going to kill them because they had broken command. They had been treasonous towards the one who had been so loving and they deserved death And they were scared. But instead of that, He extended grace immediately. And we know this because of Romans 3. He looked over and beyond to the cross for their sin. He said, I love you. You're going to have consequences, but I love you. And I'm going to restore you in such a way that you're going to know how much I love you. So He looks over and beyond. This father, son comes... Makes his plan, and the father says, No, I have a better plan for you. Tell you what, you look terrible. Go get the best robe, my robe, put it on my son. I want everybody to know he's my son, and I am glad to have him home. Put the ring on his finger. He's fully instated, fully received. I want everybody to know he's my son, and there is nothing between us anymore. In fact, put shoes on his feet. He had gotten so bad off he didn't even have shoes, sandals anymore. So the father makes him look like he never left. That was his embrace. And then they celebrate. He kills a fat agath and they celebrate. Do you know what your father's opinion of you is? He loves you with abandon. He knows you have failed. He knows you have broken suit. He knows you have been treasonous. Every one of us, whether we were the younger son or the elder son. Younger son runs off trying to find the center in everything in wild living and all that the world has to offer. The older son tries to find it in being good and obedient. But neither one loved the father. The father still receives him. And they celebrate. And this is a theme throughout the book or throughout this chapter I want you to look at. This whole celebration idea. Look how it continues. In 6 and 7 it says this, he calls together, this is the man who lost his sheep and he went and he left everything behind and left all the other sheep behind to find it. He calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And then again, the lost coin. She calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found a coin that was lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And what he tells the oldest son... Son, it was fitting to celebrate. This is after his son rebukes him, his oldest son, when he goes to plead with him. He says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. Your father loves you as a child who is found and he couldn't rejoice more. In Christ, you are seen as delightful, not horrible. You're seen as the apple of his eye. His portion, his inheritance, something he sings over, exalts over. This must have been overwhelming to that son. Let it overwhelm your heart. You want to fuel your tank? Spend your time meditating Deeply on how much your father loves you. Every time you breathe in. Remember he gave you that breath. Because he loves you. He wants to know you. The entire storyline of the Bible is about a God. Who though we wanted to reject him. That wasn't good enough for him. And he set out to be with his people. Whether he tabernacled with them in a tent whether he was with them in a more established setting in the temple or now residing in the hearts of his people by his spirit, he longs to be with us. And there is a day coming when all the other junk will get stripped away and he will once again walk in his garden with his people. And we will rejoice in his presence like never before. Why? Because He loves you. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. Why? I don't know. Only because He's amazing. I mean, I still spend time meditating on the fact that God spoke into existence this world, the galaxies, and all there is. As though... Genesis makes it effortless that his power is that amazing. And if that's true, he could have made good on his promise to Adam and Eve. He could have snuffed them out. He could have started over. He owed them nothing but what they were due, which was the punishment for treason. But instead, he loves them. Their bad deeds didn't take away his amazing love. He overcame it with his grace. And brothers and sisters, my hope this morning isn't to give you a list of things to do, but one thing. Spend your time, if you want your tank filled up, like when you go to Costco and you're filling up your car, think about your spiritual tank. And spend your time deeply convincing yourself, asking the Spirit of the living God to convince you that He loves you. Because that is the one thing that will take you out of the desert. It is the one thing that will give you confidence. It is the one thing that will give you the ability to live a life of love and godliness. It was because he first loved us that we love in response, both him and others. When we lose sight of his love for us, our love meter goes way down. You will find yourself frustrated, disappointed, angered, disillusioned. But when you remember he loves you through the thick and thin, even when you're in bad circumstances, even you're able to keep him at the center you're not, you don't become like the older son who becomes bitter, angry, frustrated. Nor do you become like the younger son who runs away trying to fill the center with everything that's empty. But you find yourself centered in a God who is absolutely astounding in His goodness. And He refuses to not let his children know that. He rejoices over you. He screams forth from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible that he's committed to you that he'll never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be with you through thick and thin. And at the end, he will take you home. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. And as Dan said last week, there's no better reason to come home. He loves you. Would you pray with me? Father, Father, I don't trust you like I should. It is hard for me to believe that you would love me so much and I can't imagine that it's any easier for my brothers and sisters in this room. Father, my heart is prone to wander. And I just pray that you would bind it back to yourself in your great love. That when I sin, Father, that I would know you haven't given up on me, but that your cross covers it. That your blood that you shed in my place covers it. And I would quickly return. Father, that I would not look to fill my life with the opinions of others. But that your opinion would be everything to me. That it would set me free to allow your spirit to do great things through my life. That I would have confidence... In you. Father save us from the opinions of others. And even from our own deadly opinion. May we love you. Rejoice in your love. Be overwhelmed by the fact that we're your portion. Your inheritance. That you sing. You exalt over us. You throw robes on us. You receive us back fully. Father may that be our protection perpetual discovery, our rediscovery day by day, how deep, how wide, how beyond knowledge your love is for us. Help us, Father. Amen.